Breaker 1-9, Breaker 1-9, this is uh, String Bean, looking for a Silver Fox, come on back. Silver Fox, are you kidding me? No, yeah, that's, I give you a CB handle, Silver I like Fox. It. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the Scary Movie List Show, I'm Kyle, and she's Carrie. Yep, and this week our list is pretty specific, it's movies with a semi-truck, scary movies with a semi-truck. Yeah, we're like the truck or... The, the driver of the truck, I guess, as well, is the villain. It seems pretty simple. It's mm. pretty easy to explain and cut and dry. You guys know exactly what we're, we're working with here. And it's kind of ripe for a horror movie because we've all had some type of interaction or a confrontation maybe on the road with a truck driver and that could be really intimidating. Yeah. But most of the time they're invisible. You know, they just go right down beside us. We just get used to it. But there are times when I think when sometimes they get a little too close yeah, yeah, you have uh, been in the car with me, I'm sure, before when I've been driving close to a semi. I get very white knuckle whenever I'm near one. I just drove to Houston last week, and I have to do it again this week. And pretty much the entire trip, you're right next to a lot of semis. And it just makes me so nervous. So maybe this is a fear that I actually have. Yeah, and it's kind of a constant thing. Like, they're always here. I mean, supply trains, they're keeping the country running, getting supplies where they need to go. So it's just like a normal thing in life. They're always going to be on the road <laughs> in some way. So, yeah, it's it can be stressful sometimes. Yeah, you for sure. I can tell you get really <laughs> wound up driving next to a big rig or a semi-truck on the road. So. It has to be because I drive this tiny little red Honda Fit. And yeah. <laughs> the second the wind blows, I feel like my car just like flies across the road. So I'm so afraid of getting sucked underneath it or <laughs> just like pulled along down the highway by one. I mean, I guess I've always had those situations where it may have gotten too close or it's uh, kind of moving close to the line when you're driving. It can get a little nerve wracking. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. we're talking about when these get sinister. Before we get into the list, I have a piece of trivia, and then we will get the answer for that trivia at the tail end of the episode. Uh, so this week's trivia is, what company is featured on the main truck on Maximum Overdrive? Yeah, this, so the truck that has the big Green face. Goblin face on it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what is the name of that company? Okay. Answer at the end of the episode. All right, Kyle, you ready to jump into this list? Yeah, let's do it. So the first movie we watched was Road Train from 2010. It was directed by Dean Francis. It's an Australian movie. So I think it, in America it's called Road Kill. Yes. Yeah. But in Australia it was actually the name of it's Road Train. And it seems like a strange change in name. But just in case you're looking for it, you may see it with different names. Right. So the premise of this movie is after being rear-ended in the Australian outback and totaling their car, Four teens steal a road train that turns them into homicidal maniacs. Yeah, uh, just up front, <laughs> this is a movie I didn't really care for. Uh, just to say that, just in case I, I'm being a little hard on it. <laughs> but it does get going really fast. Like, And we're introduced to the characters and the conflict and like what's gone on between them. Yes and no to the fast part. It seems like there are weird bits of information that are withheld until like random moments in the movie at which point it's like did they just decide to add that fact now so that it makes the movie make sense yeah i guess what i meant by that is just the action because they're driving and then they get ran off the road pretty sure. quickly and then it jumps into their journey or their quest <laughs> to take on this road train which 
maybe we should say what a road train is. I mean, they talk about it in the movie like it's just a thing, but this would be a semi-truck with just a bunch of trailers attached to it. Right, right. And it's usually, at least from the way they describe it, it's something that the outback in Australia is like, it pretty much stretches from one side to the other of the internal part of the country. So there's not a lot of people that live out there. It's not very uh, nice terrain. Um, It's just sort of a desert. So it's more or less a place where you're between places. So if they're transporting things from like the west side to the east side of the country, they take this road train and it's a very dusty, dirty, arid place, which sets the scene for what potentially could be a really great horror movie. You're isolated. You're out in the middle of the desert. There's not a lot of people who can help. And if you get run off the road, you very well could die out there. It's not like you're going to be able to walk to the nearest place. There's not a lot of houses. There's not a lot of gas stations, etc. So you're kind of sunk, which does help make more sense for the characters to be stealing a semi. Right. Yeah. In this situation, yeah, they're broke down. Their car doesn't work. So what are you going to do? Well, the the nearest vehicle is this crazy truck that just (laughs) ran them off the road and is starting to play with them a little bit like he stops or the Mm -hmm. truck stops. Whatever this truck is, (laughs) it stops. And then that leads them to say, yeah, well, what about this truck? What about this road train? Right. And the filmmakers do a great job of creating some sort of like ticking time bombs. You've got people who are injured in their party that literally could like die again. It's more of a sped up thing. They don't have water. So or they're running out of water. They don't have a lot. So there's just multiple Uh, obstacles to them surviving the situation. And they're sort of trying to overcome each one of them in their own ways, uh, but it's also pushing all of them to the edge. Yeah, so it seems to be playing with them being affected mentally by being out in the wilderness with not a lot of supplies. And then also this crazy fascination with this truck and how for some reason they're becoming obsessed with it and it's also kind of chasing them as well. Yeah, let's dive into this truck. Okay. <laughs> because there's some strange things happening with it. First off, we uh, realize in some weird cut-ins that it runs on blood. There's no gasoline in the tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a little unsettling. Then we start slowly understanding that there are some sinister things happening in the trailers of the truck. I don't really even understand what's really happening with this because at some point they kind of come across a driver, but then it's like not a driver. And then they start to explore at least one or two of the trailers in the truck. And it's like kind of a meat grinder. Yeah. (laughs) For lack of better ways of explaining it. So this movie also had a couple pretty solid quotes. The one that I put in my notes here was, You didn't take the truck. The truck took you. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) So, Kyle, as I'm talking about it, I'm starting to realize that, like, I didn't mind this movie so much. What was it about this movie that you didn't like? I think it just goes into incoherence at some point. Like, it doesn't know what it wants to be. What or why is this truck? (laughs) (laughs) They do a little like some weird kind of surreal things Mm -hmm. with it as well, but also 
it's anchored in this real world. So I don't know, maybe it's something that I missed or it was something that I just didn't really catch. Sure. I think that maybe there's a chance that the filmmakers maybe intended for it to be kind of one of those open-ended things where it's like they're getting dehydrated over the course of the film and they're kind of losing their minds over the course of the film. And so they're sort of more taking on an every man for themselves kind of outlook to the survival of the situation that they've created or they're now in. So I think that they intended for that to come across maybe. That's maybe me just reaching out and trying to come up with a reason for you. <laughs> yeah. So maybe some of this stuff really didn't actually happen. I don't know. Maybe it did. I, But I don't think that the film was clear enough with that surrealism. I agree. I don't think they went quite far enough to make it clear. It's not an unwatchable movie. I just didn't care for it whenever the credits were rolling. It's something just felt like I wasn't super satisfied with it. Sorry. Well, uh, are you ready to score it on the Friday meter? Sure. Yeah. All right. What do you want to give it? I think I'm going to give it a four underneath the five because I think that there it does have horrific elements. It's it looks good. Sure. Um, and there's some bloody scenes and some interesting things whenever it gets deeper into what they are finding with this truck or what they think they're finding. Just from those things, I would give it a four. It doesn't push it up to a five to that midpoint for me. Yeah, I'm going to give it a five just because of the kind of gory elements of what's going on in the movie. There's some people getting hit by semi-truck wheels and squished and stuff, which is kind of gross. Uh, but otherwise, I think if anything, it, it is a little confusing as to exactly what's going on. So maybe if it was a little more clear, it might be scarier possibly. But yeah, I'll stick with a five out of 10 on the Friday meter. Cool. All right, next up on the list, we're taking it back to the 80s. We saw Maximum Overdrive from 1986. And this was written and directed by Stephen King based off of one of his own short stories. And this is the, <laughs> the first and only movie that Stephen King ever directed. And if you've seen it or know anything about this movie, you might know why. Yeah. Receiving a 15% on the tomato meter seems like a good reason to not let Stephen King direct another movie for a while. Yeah, okay. I mean, maybe that's that's a good thermometer check. No, a lot of times I don't agree with Rotten Tomatoes just because somebody else doesn't sure. like something doesn't mean I don't. But I do think it is, even though it may not be the greatest movie, it's a fun midnight movie, kind of similar to like Killer Clowns from Outer Space or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like silly it would be like a nice candy. Double bill with that silly popcorn midnight movie. Right. So the story of this is Earth is in the tail of a comet <laughs> and it causes all machines to have a mind of their own. And for some reason, it specifically affects semi-trucks more than other machines. Yeah. For, or <laughs> it picks and chooses which machines that it can control. Yeah. And when or why it can <laughs> control it. Right. Like there are certain cars that are not affected at all. At one point, there's a kid riding his bike down a road and all of the sprinklers, which Kyle pointed out, those are not like really like electronic or gas powered machines in any way. Yeah. Why are those affected by this? But we really reached and decided yeah. maybe they're on a timer. I don't know. Yeah, probably some type of timer that's like, ooh, I'm going to. Turn these sprinklers on. <laughs> <laughs> As the kid is even riding down the sidewalk, there's 
literally like a hairdryer cord that has wrapped itself around a girl's neck and killed her. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of wild how it decides it. Same with the, there's a couple who are driving to their honeymoon, I guess, uh, newlyweds. And for some reason their car is not affected, but like everything around them is. Yeah. So is it just trucks and certain small appliances and not cars? Or is it just, it's taking hold of the situation and knows which ones to use to push people around the most, which I guess that makes sense with big rigs. <laughs> We're shrugging. Yeah, both, no <laughs> idea. Right now. But you know what? I don't feel like this movie necessarily needs all of that. Yeah, you're right. To be enjoyed, just let it be. Just don't think too hard about it or you might get a little frustrated by this movie. Yeah. You may have mentioned this before, but yeah, it does take place mostly around this truck stop. Most of the action, you know, eventually comes to all the characters meeting at a truck stop and having to figure out what to do. I guess they don't necessarily have a plan. Kind of thinking about trying to get out under this underground shower sewer system (laughs) (laughs) that somehow can get them away from the truck stop into maybe freedom. But most of the time they're just watching to see what the trucks are doing. That is very true. They don't, I mean, they they have some small goals throughout the film. Like they want to go save somebody or yeah. they they want to, at one point they have to fuel up all of the vehicles that they're being held hostage by. I do like that. I think that's a fun little sequence to where they have this weird communication with whatever is powering the trucks. They're like, we need fuel. No one will get hurt or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like Morse one code. Person. Yeah. They, yeah, they communicate with Morse code and there happens to be a Boy Scout <laughs> that knows <laughs> Morse code. So one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is we see a lot of vehicles in this one with no drivers. So the first film had, a, there always had to be somebody behind the wheel to get the car, vehicle to move. Whereas this one, the vehicles are kind of mainly controlled on their own if they don't have a driver at the moment, uh, it, it seems like. So... With that, then they had to have done some cool special effects or something to cause the cars to be driving around. There's even an ice cream truck that has some cool moments that's just driving around. Yeah, you're right. I think what makes these scenes, what makes most of this work is that you can see inside the truck sometimes when they're driving, you can see there's no driver. So apparently from what I was seeing is that they used a lot of remote control systems Hmm. for the trucks. And apparently they just broke down all the time so when they got one <laughs> fixed another would break down and i think some of the times if it's long shots there actually are people driving sure. you just can't see into the cab so this movie does take a few like low blow uh jokes in the mix at one point the guy who owns the truck stop pulls out his arsenal of guns and he has a bazooka i don't know how he got a bazooka but he has one and he shoots it at a truck and of course, it's a toilet paper truck. So toilet paper just like rains all over the place, which just seems like such a kid joke. Okay. Yeah, you're getting to a comment I was going to make. Like this movie is almost like if The Walking Dead was written by a dopey five-year-old. Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> absolutely. But at the same time, this movie also has some very adult content. Like it opens with the curse words on the screen and there's this, gosh, this moment that I realized as I was watching that how messed up it is. But the main guy who's played by Emilio Estevez, Emilio Estevez. Mm-hmm. So he's at this truck stop. 
he works there. He's on parole or something. Yeah. So he's like, not the like, you know, maybe the best character, but he seems to be nice enough. Well, he, there's a girl who shows up at the truck stop to kind of be saved or whatever. And he and her, after meeting like an hour before, are like in some random room in the truck stop having sex. It's like, did you guys just meet like an hour ago? And in that time, you've just been watching semi trucks like roam <laughs> around and be like worried that you're going to die. I mean, maybe that's why it's like maybe this might be their last day on Earth or something. But it seemed like a very strange jump in time. Uh, hey, when you got a connection, you got a connection. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I think that was just to throw in some a little bit of juicy love story, maybe. But yeah, it is a strange relationship that they have almost right away. Well, whatever. Again, can't think about this movie too deeply or it will really confuse you even further. And there does seem to be like a leader of the trucks. It's the truck that has like the green goblin yeah. face on the front of it. And I think that's that's kind of a fun way to give us something to latch onto like that's the leader of the villain the leader of the trucks sure you know because it kind of a little more focus yeah yeah you're right it has like red eyes and stuff and blows smoke out sometimes yeah but ultimately this movie starts with an entire screen of text and it ends with an entire screen of text of exposition to try to explain to you what you're about to see and then okay here's what actually happened and the fact the movie needs that much is a little bit concerning. Yeah. I mean, there are other movies that have those intros. Sure. But like Star Wars and stuff. Yeah. But this isn't an epic like that. <laughs> well, it is. I think it's a trashy epic. So maybe that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe that's what warrants it. All right. What is your Friedemeter score? I'm giving this a two out of 10 Whoa. on a Friedemeter. I don't find this one scary at all. Uh, I'm pretty sure that my cousins, who used to watch a lot of horror movies, watched us at a very, very young age, like probably 10. Um, and they liked it so much, they had the Hot Wheels car of the semi with the goblin on the front. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think this one's pretty digestible. Hopefully, if you do have kids and you do show them this, half of it goes over their head because otherwise there is some stuff that's a little maybe not appropriate. <laughs> But I'll let you guys be the judge of that. What do you give it, Kyle? I agree with the two. I think as far as the fright level, <laughs> it does get your blood pumping sometimes, I think. Maybe that's just because of the ACDC soundtrack, maybe. maybe. But there are some moments. There's a little bit of danger there, but not much. <laughs> and a lot of what they do is like kind of schlocky horror with like whenever the vending machine spits the cans out. Oh, right. And it somehow kills the sky. Yeah. <laughs> or like the steamroller in the Little League field. Like oh that my just, gosh. it just has, like it knows what it is. I don't think it's trying to be, you know, like you said, really an epic, but it's not that scary. No. So then let's move on to something that maybe is a little bit more scary. Uh, what's the next stop on our little road trip here, Kyle? All right. The next movie we watched was Joyride. From 2001, directed by John Dahl. And this is uh, also a Bad Robot production, if you didn't know that. J.J. Uh, mm, Abrams J. J. co-wrote Abrams. this and I think co-produced it as well. 
So it is, it's got that little bit of a, I guess, a pedigree behind it or an earlier example of JJ being a really good filmmaker and probably collaborator too. Right. The premise of this movie is two dudes are on the road to pick up a girl and make a prank CB radio call to Rusty Nail, a truck driver they obviously should not have messed with. And I think there, there's a lot of people in the horror community know about this movie. And I think it definitely is probably one of the first movies you thought we were going to talk about, <laughs> whatever we said, truck driver, right? scary movies. And I think this one takes the cake. Like, this is such a great movie. I remember watching it when it came out and being scared and having fun with it and thinking it was just a cool idea for a movie. Yeah, it has all of the perfect elements you want to see in a horror movie with a semi-truck is the center point. It has the maniac driver that we really don't know what he's up to, but we know that he's angry yeah. and he's out for blood and he's dangerous. They do a great job of that. We have characters that we really actually care about. Uh, they you know, maybe aren't the best guys in the world, but I mean, you can't help but love Paul Walker in this. And Steve Zahn, he's so goofy, even though he's just been released from... Uh, he jail. had to get bailed out of jail yeah. by his brother. But you just love these goofballs. They have such chemistry. Uh, I think the only two people in a scary movie that I've seen have this much chemistry is the guys from Tremors. They just, they're such a good buddy group. You just want to see them both make it. Yeah, I think you hit it right when you compared them to the two guys in Tremors. Mm -hmm. They just have really great chemistry. Like you believe right away that they're brothers. Yeah. Which I think sometimes can be a hard thing to do to show that people are comfortable with enough with each other and seem like they are part of the same family, even though they don't look that much alike. No, just blonde haired white yeah, guys. Right. Yeah. But the way that they interact with each other, you root for them and you want to see what they do next and what happens to them. Right. So they don't necessarily do anything despicable. They, it does seem to be like this innocent. It's a mean thing that they do. But it is an innocent thing. They're not necessarily thinking that anybody would get hurt. No. And I think that's even what they say at some point. Right. They were just trying to keep themselves entertained on a cross-country road trip yeah. by getting this CB radio installed in this junky car that he's managed to acquire. And, and Paul Walker doesn't necessarily want to do it. He gets pressured from his brother, but maybe he's remembering how much fun he and his brother used to have, so... They're on this trip together, so he just kind of gives in and goes with it. Right. And if we want to talk about cast, the voice for Rusty Nail is so perfect. It sounds scary and gritty. It's Ted Levine who does it, and he's an actor. You would know his face, and you would know him from stuff. He was Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Wow. He's been in a lot of genre stuff and non-genre stuff. Just really good at what he does, and he has this great voice. And it wasn't actually the first voice. The first voice wasn't, it was kind of a whispery, like reserved voice, but didn't seem super strong. Whereas the voice that they gave it, as we know it, has a very almost deranged but controlled way. You know this guy is scary and unpredictable. Yeah. Most of the sequences, if not all of the sequences in this movie, are perfectly paced and really well thought out scary scenes. One of the ones that I like most is when they're in the hotel room and the result of the prank call is taking place. Oh, yeah. 
they're listening through the wall to hear what's happening in the other room. And you can't really hear what's happening, but the way that they are working with that scene to put you in the room with the brothers to make you listen for every little sound right. and try to figure out what's happening with them. Like you're even almost pressed up against the wall with your ear with the brothers, with Paul Walker as they're trying to listen. Yeah, I Just asked really, you to turn the volume up uh, on that scene because I was like, I think that I'm missing something. And you're like, no, you're not. That's just muffled. That's exactly how the sound design is for this. Yeah, so there's a lot of care given to that pacing and making sure that you're sucked in and ready for the scare that they've got coming up. Right, they build tension. They really have you at the edge of your seat. And then there's such a payoff for every moment of the film that's just intense and great in its own right. It's so solid in that way. But this movie also does something really interesting in that it's almost built into two acts. You watch the first 45 minutes of the film and you feel like it's over. It's like its own movie. It's almost like two different movies. It does really have that unique pace of building up to the reveal what happens after the hotel, thinking that everything's fine, essentially, and then putting you into yet another roller coaster of what's going to happen to these guys right they almost give you like an intermission or like a reprieve mm -hmm. so yeah. you can relax and then it gets it takes it up like five notches for the second half absolutely yeah it's such a fun like early 2000s horror uh when there was some still some really good stuff coming out and not that this one doesn't get fair praise i think it does but i do think it's it's better than a lot of people may give it credit for I think it is one of the better horror movies of this century, you know, in wow. the first 20 years. I do. I really think so. It is really, really solid. It's pretty perfect in all, all the ways. If you've seen this movie or if you haven't, also try to look up the alternate ending oh, that yeah. they have or the first ending because in the VHS copy that we got and also I think it's on the DVD and other releases, special features. So there's this whole other ending that's different from the one that we got. I actually like the one that was released a lot better sure. because it builds up to that um, ending with the motel. But I think it's it's fun to see what they would have had versus what they have now. You don't see that a lot with, with horror movies to where they have like a completely new or a longer extended ending that was replaced. Doesn't always happen. So yeah, if you want more Joyride, I guess technically there's a tiny bit more Joyride in the, in the mix. <laughs> Yeah, and this movie did add a couple of other sequels, Joyride 2, and maybe and I think there's a third one. I haven't seen those. Sure. So what is your Fridometer score, Kyle? I'm going to give this a nine. Nice. Yeah, I think that this movie plays with a lot of different ways to scare you because it's not a masked killer. No. It's not a demon. It's not a ghost story. They're using the truck in really cool ways to put you on edge and build up some really good scares, whether it's on the road or when they're being chased in different ways, or when they're just on the phone of the CB, just the threat of the truck and who's driving it and what's going to happen. Just some really great horror movie making. Nice. I'm going to give it an eight, but I honestly, quality wise, it's a 10. Like it's such a perfect horror movie. Yeah, it's really tight. Very, very Even well with the different together. pacing that you normally see with how they're splitting it up like that, it still works really well. Oh, yeah. It's great. And I've seen other films since then that have done that kind of two-act with a reprieve. Like, I think Innkeepers sort of does a little bit of that 
in a couple moments where you get a little break and it's because you loosened up. Now we're really going to scare the hell out of you. And I think it really works for horror films. But yeah, I think ultimately I have seen things that are scarier, that are more like nightmare fuel. This movie, I love it. I love this movie so much. It's my favorite on the list this week. But I don't think that it's quite a nine just or a 10 for me, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So lastly, for the list, we watched Duel. Kyle, you got some factoids about Duel? Yeah, Duel was the first movie, I believe, or one of the first bigger projects, I'll say, that Steven Spielberg directed. It was a TV movie, and it was put out on ABC as a movie of the week, and this is from 1971. This is based off of uh, Richard Matheson's short story, and he also wrote the screenplay. So if you don't know who Richard Matheson is, he's one of the greatest horror writers. Also did a good chunk of Twilight Zone episodes that are really great. Right. So you probably would remember. And his script is one of the best things that makes this movie work. But it's, I mean, early Spielberg. Like he's got this crazy bag of tricks that you could just tell that he's so creative with telling these stories right. on so screen. Before we jump into that, I want to give the little synopsis for this one. So a dude is driving across the desert, question mark. He's driving somewhere, but it's pretty deserted landscape to see a client that he's afraid he's going to lose. While he's on the road, he's hunted by a gross semi with a maniac behind the wheel. Yeah, I love the opening to this movie. At least even even the opening credits are great. It starts black and then we are it's revealed that we're in a, a garage and we're backing out as looking from the front of the car. And the whole opening credits is the car driving through the town, listening to AM radio, getting further out and further and further to where he's out in the middle of nowhere. So it builds up that we're coming from suburbia into some unexpected territory that anything where anything could probably happen. Yeah. The fact that it is a Matheson script does actually make a lot of sense. I can easily see the like Twilight Zone sort of inspiration of this along with that marriage of Spielberg's looks. Um, Yeah, this is, I almost think this is like the greatest Twilight Zone episode that is not a Twilight Zone episode. (laughs) You know what I mean? Wow, yeah. And Spielberg directing it is, uh, if you've seen his short film Amblin, which was like one of his first big shorts that really kind of got him a lot of notoriety, it looks really similar. Um, Amblin is just like sort of a hitchhiker that's kind of out in this, sort of desert looking like very sepia toned space and this movie takes place in a very similar space very cinematically shot oh yeah they shoot the hell out of this thing there's so many different angles and different kinds of shots that they're getting they're just like we're gonna get at least 27 different angles that way we give it to the editor and there's no way they can't make a great movie. <laughs> and the editor <laughs> takes all of that footage and shows us all of it. Like yeah. every time a character moves or a car rolls forward, we see it from 27 different <laughs> angles. Like you said, mm-hmm. there is so much coverage. I wonder how much film stock they rolled through on this thing. Yeah. And one of those shots, it's one of my favorite parts or probably my favorite shot of the movie is the reveal of the truck, like the full reveal. It's a shot where we're outside of the of the car where the main character is driving. And then it's basically, it turns into a moving shot where the camera moves or drives along past the truck to reveal the front of the truck. So and when we're driving past, it shows how gritty 
and dirty and gross and dangerous, I guess, how this truck is. Because when you get to the front of it, it almost looks like a face with the headlights. And it's almost like this monster in a way. Even though you can see somebody's driving it, I think it's just you're shown the whole of the truck, the driver and the truck itself. Right. Are what the danger is here. Yeah, it definitely looks like tetanus on wheels. It's like <laughs> a rusted, there's like oil on it. It's really dirty. So where did this thing come from? It's crazy. Yeah, and I'm glad it's not like, oh, he was just a disgruntled driver, you know. Like it was it's never really explained. Right. Which is what makes it work. Do you think though that he this main character driver of the car actually instigates all of the the violence that comes later with his road rage where he passes him and then he uh I don't, I don't know he kind of seems to like rattle the chains of the the semi because the semi leaves a lot of other people completely alone mm. i don't think that he does anything that's like hostile he the driver the truck is driving really slow and he's behind him on a, on a freeway and there is a passing lane in the desert so yeah, he gets a little frustrated with that. Come on, man. But then drives past him, but he doesn't like honk his horn or anything. He's like, okay, I'm past him. Yeah, that guy rolls his eyes and then just keeps driving. But then the truck comes back. So I don't know. Maybe, yeah, there, maybe there is some things that he does that ruffles the truck driver's feathers. I, I don't know. But you're right. There is a little bit of road rage there, but I didn't think it was something that was too excessive. Sure. The other thing I wasn't totally sure on with this main character is if we were really supposed to like him. Right. Because at the get-go of the film, um, he's just listening to the radio. It's kind of just like, you know, whatever. We don't know a lot about him. Uh, but he makes a phone call to his wife at a gas station, and she accuses him of not standing up for her whenever some one of his friends comes on to her. Comes on to her in public, like it, at a party, and he didn't do anything about it. Later in the film, I kind of understand why that might have been a little nugget about his personality that we were given because he's not one to like want to get into a conflict. He's sort of a very avoiding a lot of that type of stuff, not mm -hmm. the kind of guy that wants to get into a fight. But to me, releasing that information at the get-go of the movie made me kind of not like him that much. It was sort of like, well, why didn't you do that? Like, your poor wife, like, that sucks. And now you also have, she sets up the scene that I want you to get home by a certain time because your mother is coming and I don't want to be stuck here by myself with that. And you set this whole thing up. So you need to get back. And he's sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I've got this client that I need to go see or I might lose him and then I'd be, you know, up a creek. So I don't know. To me, I didn't really like him out of the get go of the film. Yeah. Whenever we are first introduced to him, it's like. He could either be like your sixth grade math teacher or your weird coworker. It's like you don't really care that much about him either way. Right. It's not somebody that you like right away. But as it gets revealed, I think we're almost forced to root for him because he's the only character that we really follow. Sure. So eventually, I think we are on his side, maybe, but not all the way. What brings us in further is that there are there is some inner monologue narration that he has when he's talking about what he should do and like he's reasoning through things. Mm -hmm. There's another one of the great scenes in the movie is when he's in the diner and he thinks the truck driver is in there, but we don't know who it is. So we're right along there with him, like eliminating who it could be. And in that situation of, is it this guy? Is it that guy? Should I go talk to him? Should I not? What's going to happen? 
And a lot of that is just the great direction from Spielberg, but the script is also almost as good as what he's doing, I think. Yeah, agreed. That moment being compounded with the fact that he was just run off the road and nearly killed by this this truck driver in front of the diner where pretty much anyone could have seen it happen, uh, although many of them seem like they only saw the tail end of the whatever it is that happened. Yeah, they just saw him coming in there like a bat out of hell in his car and runs into the fence. I'm like, what? what's happening, dude? What's up? Are you okay? That kind of stuff. Yeah. But somehow they have completely ignored the presence of this giant truck. The truck also does something interesting later. When he gets back on the road, there's a, a school bus full of kids that needs a push so that it can get started again. It's it's having some trouble, some car trouble. And so he tries to push it himself, which I think maybe that might be the first moment where I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, he the guy of, in his own car tries to push it. But yeah. he kind of also comes across a bit of as a, as a dick in yeah. that moment because mm. he is like, I told you I would get stuck because his bumper gets stuck underneath the bus. And he's like, I just need to get out of here before the truck comes back. And when he gets out of there, the truck actually comes and pushes the bus. Mm-hmm. So... Again, I kind of got back to these moments of like, is this truck actually bad? Yeah, that tells us that the truck's like, I don't have a problem with anybody else but you. Right. So, and then that kind of solidifies that it's not necessarily a danger to other people. Mm-hmm. It's more of just between him and the truck and the truck driver for some reason. Right. It's never necessarily resolved, but it just makes the conflict and the action so riveting. Because you don't know why this is happening. Overall, if you love high-speed chases, this movie is basically an hour and a half long high-speed chase. And it's so... With little breaths in between. Yeah, yeah. It's so beautifully shot. So cinematic. Uh, If you're into the movies like Bullet or something of that sort, I feel like this might be the movie on the list for you this week. Yeah, you're right. That point of view rig from like basically where we're the bumper of Mm -hmm. the truck or the bumper of the car because we're that low and we're seeing all of our surroundings it makes everything look so much more enhanced it makes it look like you're going a lot faster because you're that close to the ground and you're seeing the mountains blow by you in those shots they just work really well to make you feel like there's a lot of speed and danger so i'm going to give this one on the Friedometer score a six it does have some great tension There's not a lot of big jump scares that are usually what really kind of get me. There's also not a lot of gore. Uh, I think he just has a little cut in his mouth at one point or something. But overall, yes, I can see where this could be something that enters into nightmares down the road. It's a very slow burn film. What do you give it on the Frightometer score? I'm going to give it a seven because, and you're right, there's no, since also this was 1971, is a TV movie. There's not going to be a lot of gore, not mm-hmm. a lot of violence, but it didn't need that anyway. Right. So there's none of that. But what makes it scary for me is just those situations and feeling that every time we're on the road, the truck could show up and something could happen. It's very unpredictable mm-hmm. the way that they push the, the story along and also to where he stops in between where he's driving all the way up into a, a pretty great climax. It's you don't know what's going to happen next. And it's a riveting watch. All right. So I already shared that my favorite on the list this week is Joyride. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. I mean, even if we've got that Spielberg flick, Duel is really good, but Joyride is better. I think it's the best movie of this list. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree for sure. All right. So back to the trivia we asked at the beginning of the episode, which was what company is featured on the main truck on the film Maximum Overdrive? This, again, a reminder, it's the truck with the goblin face. The toy company is Happy Toys. Happy Toys. <laughs> so if you got that right, pat yourself on the back. Good job. You know your stuff. Apparently, you know your Stephen King stuff. That's kind of a bit of a deep cut. So while I didn't make an extensive list of other movies that you could watch for this list, a lot of them have sequels. Or again, if you put into the search bar truck horror films, you're going to find a handful more that we didn't talk about. It's sort of like the clown thing. It's specific enough that you're going to get other options if you start finding that you're really into this. So I'm not too worried about that. I feel really good about this list. There's a most of these movies were solid to watch. Right. It was a fun, it's a week fun list of movies. Yeah. And absolutely. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to podcast. You can also give us a follow on Instagram. Uh, we usually like to post some new things and get some conversations going. But if we don't hear from you, take care. And keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.